Father, we ask that you send your Spirit. And Lord, this is what we've been asking all week, is that you instruct us in what your wisdom is, what you want us to do. And Lord, you guide our minds and give us a takeaway what you need us to learn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I hope, uh, I know some of, I see a lot of new faces, but our intention this week um, has been to give you guys some of what we've learned along the way. And I can only pray that what we share with you, each speaker up here, is that you take this information and you go back and you prove it for yourselves. Don't um, just sit and listen to us but make it your own. Make it yours. God wants each and every one of us to be able to answer, you know, questions for ourselves. I like, I learned um, a couple days ago, and I really appreciated that, that rather than what my conclusion is, um, I really enjoyed that. Look at the data. So this is your homework. Everybody that stood up here, take notes. Look at all the data that we've given you. You take it home, and you study it, and you ask God to open your minds so that you can come to your, the same conclusion and see that, hey, what that person said is true, or, hey, this person is totally off. But not just there. Get together, discuss it. You know, the, the neat thing about our pioneers, and I shared this a couple days ago, is God did not give just any one person all of the information. I think if he did... Um, many of them would have had big egos. Even though he didn't, many of them still had egos. And that's, you know, one of the things that I pray about a lot. Not because I have one, but is that I would not grow an ego so that God would not be able to utilize me. And um, another thing, uh, uh, when I came to this um, symposium, I had one concept in my mind and I was talking with one of the presenters, and he said something contrary to what I believed, and it challenged me. And then it challenged me to think, huh, is mine right, or is his right? And I don't know the answer. It's not to say he was wrong or was right. But what my takeaway from that is I need to go back and study. And I appreciated that because it lets me know that I have to be grounded in what I believe, and if I'm not, then what is it do I believe? So I appreciated that conversation because now, once this is over and I have some time to sit back and relax, um, relaxing and studying, I will go back and revisit that and really um, look into it and, and see if there's you know, some truth and to really understand for myself, what is it do I really believe? Um, not so much, again, it's not so much right or wrong who's right. It's just I realize after that conversation that my own foundation on that thought was shaky. And if it's shaky, then I need to know what it is. So all of the speakers up here that have been presenting, take the information, please make it your own, study it, learn it. God wants each and every one of you to know it for yourself so that you can stand and make a difference. I, uh, Rob can't do it. Eugene can't do it. I can't do it. Those of you who are here to see Michael can't, we can't do it. We need your help. God wants each and every one of us to be a part of this. Amen. So our goal, at least my personal, and I don't really want to speak for everybody else, but I feel comfortable enough to say that we're giving you this. Take it home and make it your own. Okay, I have to admit I'm a little bit nervous this morning. Um, I didn't really get to calm down, but we'll make it. God will definitely, hopefully... Give me the words to say. The quote that I've been quoting every day this week, I want to go back over it again, and this is Education 271. And I said, when I found this, it really made an impact on my life. And some of you are new, those who have been here, commit this quote to memory because it is really important. If you want to make a difference, this is how you do it. Education, page 271. With such an army of workers as our youth... Rightly trained might furnish how soon the message of a crucified, risen, and soon coming Savior might be carried to the whole world. How much of the world? The whole world. The whole world. How soon might the end come? Isn't that what we all strive for? To spread the everlasting gospel so that we can hurry the coming of our Lord and Savior? 
How soon, in place of possession here, with its blight of sin and pain, our children might receive their inheritance, where the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever, where the inhabitants shall not say, I am sick, and the voice of weeping shall be no more heard. Today I was... We're going to talk about agriculture and evangelism, and I'm going to get, but I want to kind of get there in a, a roundabout way. Sometimes I, I've noticed something about myself. Sometimes I like to help you understand where, why I got somewhere, not just tell you, hey, I'm here, this is what we need to do, but I think I find joy in explaining and helping you to see the steps and understand so that you have the data and um, you can decide for, you, for yourself whether, hey, that's, that's sound or there's some problems there. Um, so we'll get to the evangelism in a second. Um, I was looking for a quote that I wanted to present, share with you this morning, um, last night. And... Uh, there were a couple things I was looking for in evangelism for agriculture. I was trying, there was some research that I had, and I was searching for it. And it's amazing that in searching, this odd quote came up. Um, and I, I was trying to figure out how in the world does that fit in there. And then I thought, well, maybe I need to share it. And then so I decided to go and read it. And I thought it was very powerful. This was written in 1908. It's Review and Herald, February 6, 1908. And the thing that I found fascinating with this is it's 1908. It's after many of the controversies. It's a little bit later in Ellen White's ministry. It's a little bit later, you know, um, basically her last decade of life. She's re- she wrote many things. And so she understood, you know, the relationship with God, and she understood what she was, you know, trying to say them. And when you... I'm starting to study Adventist history. I, I wish I knew as much as some of the presentations I've heard here, and I will admit I'm just a student learning, and I, I'm just scratching the surface. But I really found this interesting. And um, again, it's Review and Herald, February 6, 1908. She says, Before we can carry the message of the present truth in all its fullness to other countries... We must first break every yoke. Every yoke. We must come into the line of true education. I'm going to pause there. Again, I want to reiterate, I was not looking for this quote. I was looking for something totally different, not education. It had nothing to do with education, and I found this quote. We must come into the true line, I'm sorry, we must come into the line of true education, walking in the wisdom of God and not in the wisdom of the world. God calls for messengers who will be true reformers. We must educate, educate to prepare people who will understand the message, you have to understand it first and then give the message to the world. I don't know why I found that quote. I wasn't looking for it, but I felt I needed to share it. Maybe somebody here needed it. Maybe it was for me. Something to go back. But I want to read it one more time. Before we can carry the message of present truth in all its fullness to other countries, we must first break every yoke. We must come into the line of true education, walking in the wisdom of God and not in the wisdom of the world. God calls for messengers who will be true reformers. We're called to be reformers. We're not just called to listen and regurgitate, but we're actually called to reform. Mm-hmm. Isn't that neat? Mm-hmm. I, 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 I hear that, and it really is it, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Because what that's telling me is something is wrong. If we have to reform something, something is wrong. We must educate, educate, to prepare a people who will understand the message and then give to the message to the world. I think, and I shared earlier, I think about the, um, you know, as I study in Exodus, when God brought them out 
of, and I know I'm repeating, and sometimes it's good to repeat, but it just, you know, to get my point across, especially to those who weren't here, when God brought them out into the wilderness, he had to retrain them. They forgot who their creator was. One of the things he did was he took them into creation. Through creation, he was able to reveal a picture of himself. And in that, all they, they consistently quarreled, mumbled, argued, and they were missing the signs of God. I mean, the visible, tangible signs of God all around them in everything, every little detail. Does God do anything accidentally? No. No. Everything he does is on purpose. It's on purpose. It's calling our minds into action. It's calling us to reflect. It's calling us to think. It's calling us to back to him. God wants to commune with us. He wants to live with us, and he wants to be with us. So I do not believe that as they were walking through every little detail, God intentionally set different perils so that they could learn lessons. If they learned the lesson, he would allow them to overcome those perils and from that become stronger. Remember, we talked about this earlier this week. He had, he had an ideal for what he wanted them to be. And in that ideal, they were to be his ambassadors, an example to the whole world. I like this quote. Um, a friend of mine, Jerry Travers, I wrote this down at the beginning of the week and I wasn't sure I was going to use it, but I really do like it. He says, education can teach many thoughts, but not all thoughts are moral. True education, therefore, must be what? Moral. Think about that. Education can teach many thoughts. But not all thoughts are moral. True education, therefore, must be moral. Is that a true statement? Yes. Yeah. If we're not teaching our children to return to their creator, to return to God using the things that he's given us, we're not educating them, then we're not doing our job. I remember, I won't say share that, um... I'll share this story with you, several stories, then I'll get to education, I mean, I'm sorry, evangelism in agriculture. Several years ago, we did an education agriculture uh, conference at UT Pines, uh, several people from all across the country. And one of the people that were asked to, sp- to speak was um, um, Agatha Thrash. And I remember she could not speak, so they said that her son would be speaking, which I was fine with that. I was coordinating that uh, event. And Calvin Thrash. And Calvin Thrash got up, and he told a story about Uchi Pines. How many of you know the story of Uchi Pines? Yeah, you, you two were there. Okay. I'm going to do something. I have the privilege of being after lunch, and every time I look around, what, do you, what happens when you eat a large meal and you come and you sit in a warm room? <coughs> I want everybody to stand up. I'm seeing those heads nod. I want everybody to stand up. Say hi to the person behind you. Say hi to the person in front of you. Say hi to the person to the right of you and to the left of you. And then I want you to stretch. Stretch. Come on, let's get, let's get that blood flowing. I need the brains awake. Stretch one more time. Nice big stretch. Okay. Go ahead and pl- have a seat, please. So Calvin Thrash decided he was going to share the story of Uchi Pines, which I thought was very interesting. He got up and he told about his mother and his father, who both went to medical school. His mother grew up Baptist, and I believe his mother was his father was Methodist. That one, don't quote me on. Um, I may be wrong. Do you two remember? But I think it was Methodist. I know for sure the mother grew up Baptist. They were both churchgoers. They were actually both pretty religious, and um, they got into school. And then they got into medical school. And as they got into medical school, medical school pulled God out of them. 
because there was no place for God in medicine. There was a place for medicine, and there was a place for treating the patient, taking care of the patient. God had no place in the room. So Calvin was talking about when his mother and father graduated from medical school, they both came from devout backgrounds, Christian backgrounds, were both atheists. Now, it was very interesting to hear that story and the different steps that God took to bring both of those guys back to him. And um, that it brings me to this song. I want to share a song. I believe probably the guys at Audioverse may have to edit this out. I'm not sure what the policy is with Audioverse and whether they can play music, but I'm just giving them a heads up on this. But listen to the words of this. Um, it's one of the, you know, my children's songs, and I want you to listen to this song. Two students. Two students. One student, what happened to him? He was in biology class. He's listening to the lecture, and the teacher's talking about all, if you add up what your body's worth. It's worth $1.98. What happens to him? That's depressing. He becomes depressed. His hope is stripped away from him. Education stripping away hope. The other student who I, my interpretation of the song, likes to say received true education. What does he do to the student whose hope has just been dragged down? Boys it up. The difference is, one was taught to look to a Savior who no matter what anyone says, he is there, he is worth living for, it doesn't matter what happens. The other one, through education, was not given the picture of that redeeming Savior. All of a sudden, he gets into biology class, they start talking and saying, hey, you're worth $1.98. What happens to his hope? It's crushed, if there was any in the first place. Education does one of two things. It points you to a redeemer, a savior, and a loving God. Or it makes you so incompetent and so incapable of knowing who that is, you don't know where to go, when to go, or how to go when you need him the most. We've been talking a lot this week about education. We've been talking, we've been looking at a picture there's a reason God gives us words. There's a reason. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about um, going through this morning is Mrs. White counsels us, and I remember I shared the story yesterday about uh, Teresa Kodimer, who said that she had character issues with her child. And rather than open the book, she decided to close the book. Mrs. White gives clear counsel on this. Go home, do the research, Google it. I quoted it, but here's your homework. Look it up. She says that if book learning and education, I mean, book learning and um, agriculture has to suffer, manual work, which one are you supposed to put aside? The books. There's things that, as an adult, I'm learning pictures and seeing pictures of God once I became a farmer, that I've never seen. I'm seeing things and understanding him more clearly, clearly than I've ever seen. And uh, the more I dig in the dirt, the more treasures. God is a neat God. Remember as parents, when you had young children, one of the things that's most fun is to hide things and have them go and look for it, right? Think about God. cares more for us, so much more than we can even fathom or imagine. Do you think God is not just wanting to put little tre hidden treasures here and there throughout this world for us to go and dig and try to discover and find? Go back, research it, and look it up and learn it for yourself. Because until we create an army of youth willing to work for Christ, then we're just going around in a circle in vain. want to switch just a little bit and go to agriculture and evangelism. And um, first, I'm going to open it up to questions regarding anybody here in agriculture, growing, doesn't matter what you grow, as long as it's legal. Well, anything's legal anymore. <laughs> How many of you have ever had an encounter or an experience 
experience in agriculture, um, witnessing to someone. Would you share? Well, I work in a hospital where there's healthcare people. Stand up, turn around so everybody can hear. Sorry. Oh. I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm sorry. I want everybody to hear. The mic doesn't, it's just recording. I work in the healthcare industry in a hospital. And we have had gardens for years. And there's been more than once when I take my cucumbers or tomatoes or different things I've uh, cooked and canned and frozen or whatever, homemade bread, peanut butter. And my coworkers say, what do you got today? And I've been able to give a testimony to the Lord's abundance and been able to share health uh, things with that. So it's just an opening wedge. And there's been times when we've had extra cucumbers and tomatoes, and my coworkers say, can I have some? Can I have some? Yes, of course. And they taste and see and say, oh, that's great. So it's a witness to the Lord's blessings. And it's also a witness um, for health because I'm, an older nurse, and I'm still keeping up with the younger ones. And they say, how do you do that? Well, then I get to tell them about good nutrition and fresh air and exercise and water and trusting in God. So it's, it's a blessing. Anybody else? Had a... I'm going to put you in the spot. Come down. Everybody can hear, hopefully. Well, we're new at gardening, my wife and I. But it was while we were gardening that the Jehovah's Witnesses came to visit us. And you know, they believe in making a little heaven on earth here. And it was really impressive to them that we were trying to do something just like that, not even knowing what they knew. And we were able to start Bible studies with them and keep them up for months before they gave up, uh, largely because of that garden. And then using our produce to feed some of the foreign students that are at our uh, local university, Saudi students and those from uh, parts of Africa, it's been very impressive to them and opened up some doors. Anybody else have something to share? Okay. When I was getting, when my family and I were transitioning into agriculture, you know, knowing a lot about business, business world, but knowing nothing about agriculture, I was wondering that same thing. Can you even do it? How is agriculture, how can you evangelize? There's an interesting thing that's happening in the world today, especially in the United States. Um, there's a massive movement. You guys have probably, you know, this, the green movement, everybody off, getting off the grid and everything. And there's, some, there's a great awakening to um, organic and nutritious food. I shared with you earlier this week that I was a personal trainer, had a gym for several years, and I remember one of the, this had to be about 2004, one of the training sessions I went to, they were talking about, for the first time in history, the FDA was no longer trying to block multivitamins. They were actually encouraging the American uh, population to start taking uh, supplements because they were recognizing that the food was no longer providing all the minerals and vitamins that our bodies needed. So... At that time, I wasn't in agriculture. I wasn't thinking it from that perspective. I was thinking of it from a perspective of, I own a gym, okay, I need to start selling supplements so these people can um, start taking. Well, now as a farmer, and I start understanding, do you guys know, for example, do you know that when you buy a tomato from, I won't name a store, but any store, and it says vine ripened, do you know that they go to the tomato plant, they cut the vine off of that tomato, they ship it wherever, 1,000, 2,000 miles, it goes to a special factory, they put it into this little box, and they infuse a chemical into it, which for, tricks, the, tricks the DNA of the tomato into thinking it's ripened, but it's not. And so what it does is the, col- it, 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 the pigment of the tomato skin actually changes and turns red instead of green. So what you're actually eating is a green tomato with red skin, which hasn't fully ripened yet, which hasn't matured, and a, a tomato is not mature. It doesn't 
um, capture all the nutrients and all the minerals until it's actually turned red. So when you eat a green tomato, you're actually not eating as a nutritious a tomato as you possibly can. If I say a word wrong or here, I'm from another country, blame it on that. Um, I, we speak English, but a different kind of English. My wife's always saying, oh, you said that word wrong. You know what? I'm going to say them, so I apologize. But understand my intent. So the tomato is green, but it looks red. And so when you're eating this red, ripened tree, a vine-ripened tomato, which is still on the vine when they put it in that box... You think you're providing your children with nutritious food. Did you know several years ago in one of the Carolinas, they were, um, there's a, America, I didn't know this, this blew my mind. The United States is actually the largest exporter of rice. We export rice, more rice from the U.S. than any other country. That was a fascinating statistic. Um, one of the things is rice is, there's different diseases and um, pests that bothers, bother rice. So they decided they're going to do some experimenting. And what they did is they realized that the, the, um, the um, diseases that the rice was getting doesn't affect humans. So they actually went to the DNA level, took human DNA, and spliced it into the DNA of rice and started growing rice. Now, thank God, it failed miserably, so it was not able to be put on the market. But, another story. Um, Right now, they're experimenting with um, strawberries. Strawberries are one of the most susceptible crops to freeze. And anybody who knows, strawberries usually come in the springtime. So during the harvest, it's, it's possible that, you know, you may get a freeze. And if it freeze, strawberries freeze, what happens to them? mush they die so what they started doing was they went and they researched the north atlantic salmon and they're like what is it other fish can't swim in the northern atlantic ocean only the north atlantic salmon so what is it about that they discovered what dna which gene in the north atlantic salmon allowed that fish to swim up into those frigid waters and they said voila we have an answer to strawberries. Let's splice this DNA, this gene, into the DNA of strawberries to keep strawberries from freezing. That's currently being experimented on. There's another book, if you guys ever want to read, it's a lot, pretty intense. It's called um, Genetic, Roulette, Genetic Roulette, 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 French word, Roulette, Roulette, Roulette. Sorry, that's not one of those French words. My wife would know. Um, <laughs> Um, and it talks about there was they were trying to come up with a new type of wheat. Have, have anybody heard about this? You do? You don't know this one? They were wanting to come up with a new type of wheat. Wheat is this thing that grows really tall, and there's all this waste, all this waste, and you have to wait until it matures. So they wanted to figure out how can we get more and plant less and have a shorter crop. So some guy decided that he was going to experiment with some chemicals, and the chemical that he was experimenting, it was a forced um, amalgamation of wheat. They were forcing it to do something contrary, to the, you know, something that wasn't natural. They didn't want this long stock because it was a lot of waste. They wanted a shorter stock. The guy who was experimenting on it, the chemical that he used to change the, uh, um, the um, character of wheat ended up dying because the chemical was so toxic. The person who went to do CPR on him actually ended up collapsing. Now, I don't remember if he also died, but he also ended up collapsing because in doing mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, he inhaled some of the air from his lungs, and that's what affected him. This is the new wheat that they want to put out on the market. You have to educate yourself in everything. This is not to scare you. It's amazing as you, as you study and you learn what's going on. It blows your mind. Like, for example, how for, I, I, I learned a statistic. I went somewhere, and they were saying that every year, Adventists eat probably one entire ham. And I'm like, how is that? How is that? Well, sugar. How many of you like sweets? Naturally, sugar is not white. How does sugar turn white? They take 
bones from animals. It could be bovine, it could be cow or pig. Many times it's pig, many times it's cow. It just depends. Whatever is the cheapest, whatever they can get from the slaughterhouse. They char it, make kind of like a charcoal, and in that they dump the sugar in, which is naturally brown. And um, I believe this is in that book, um, um, uh, GMO Roulette, Roulette, Roulette. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I'm thinking more than I'm trying to pronounce that properly. But I think, is, do you two know? Genetic Roulette, thank you. Jeffrey Smith. By Jeffrey Smith. This may be in that. But anyways, they said that in order to turn sugar white, they use bone char to withdraw the color, which sugars, depending on which sugar, could be naturally brown or, you know, depending on where you got it. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. I could be up here telling you something totally false. I could be up here just making this up. I'm not. My point is educate yourself. You know, God had a, a, he had a, um, a way that he wanted us to be. Now, uh, um, one, of the, one of the things I want to kind of transgress, or transgress, tr- go back. <laughs> I, forgive my nervousness, I apologize. I want to go back to um, talking about evangelism. I have a friend who's a farmer, and um, he said that he was running a farm. This was somewhere in California. And he said he looked out one day, and he saw this really nice 500 series um, Mercedes-Benz coming down the road, tinted windows. He said it looks like it was brand new. It was definitely the current year model. And he said he, he ran a CSA, and uh, he thought, well, maybe this is someone new. He knew all his customers, but he thought, well, maybe they're coming pick it up for another customer or something. And he said that it pulled in, and he was busy doing something else, and it just sat there for a second. And the guy got out, and he said the guy had on a suit. He said it was probably a $1,000 suit. It was, it was a silk suit, very nice tie. And he said the shoes were very expensive, silk, you know, um, very well-dressed. So he said the guy came over to him, and he looked at him, and he said, Would you mind if I take off my shoes and just walk in your field? And he said, huh, that's different. So he said, sure, by all means. He said, you know, his field was plowed and it was fresh. And he said he sat there and he watched this man walk back and forth, just walk back and forth in that field, pacing. And he said, while he was out there, he's like, you know what? I just decided I was going to pray for him. And he prayed for him. The guy came back and he said that, um, thank you. He said, I admire you more than you can imagine. Thank you, thank you. He got back in his car, and he drove away. He said he never saw him again. He said he didn't know what was wrong. He said he didn't, you know, he felt that if the guy wanted to talk, he would have shared with him. There's something going on in this world with the people are wanting to get out. I was reading a statistic where there, um, people are dropping out of high school and going and volunteering on farms and learning how to um, work in the field. It's amazing. This is not happening in the Adventist world, but it is happening, happening in the secular world. So many farms are popping up here and there, and people are understanding and realizing something's happening. There's so much stress. There's so much pressure. Something's going on. So I believe that God is doing something mighty. I wish I could tell you I knew what it was, but I don't. But something is definitely happening. Um, Another family, how many of you heard of the Dysingers? They have a farm in Tennessee, and they shared a story where uh, they had this person who was a member of neighbor, and um, every now and then this neighbor would buy from them, buy produce from them. And they said that they really didn't get to know this person. He didn't live right next to them. They knew him and his wife, and um, they kind of, you know, kind of like a next neighbor over. Well, anyways... um, they, they, they would come by, and they would buy food. And the Dysinger said that we never, ever really sat down with these individuals and talked religion with them. You know, we were cordial, and we talked, and we, but they knew a lot about us. And he said they moved away. And he said after they moved away, it was probably 10 years. He said we didn't think anything, and all of a sudden we got a phone call. And it was the husband 
and he explained to them that his wife had um, passed away, and he said that was a one, one of the best things that had ever happened to him. And I don't know what that means, but anyways, the guy was a Southern Baptist, a strong Southern Baptist, and he'd remarried, he moved up north somewhere, and now he was living in Alabama, I think it was four hours away, and he called him and he said, you know what, We, I, I need to share a story with you. And so he said that the gentleman told him that one day they were talking to someone who had stopped at their house and they were going to get their basket and um, on Friday and they forgot that they didn't get it. So they were going to go over there and drive on Saturday and get it. And uh, John Dysinger said that the, his neighbor said, no, don't go over there. It's Saturday. So the two of them sat there and said, well, what does that mean? He's like, well, I don't really know, but they don't do anything on Saturday. So John said that, huh, I'd never realized we made that kind of an impression on them. But the story doesn't stop there. So he said, anyways, after that, you know, my wife and I, and I think she got sick and it ended up being a bad thing And after she died. And he said his new wife came along and they decided that they were going to start studying their Bible. And someone gave them a literature on something on the Sabbath, and he said, Ah, my old neighbor used to keep the Sabbath. They didn't pass out their baskets on Sabbath or anything. And so they moved down to Alabama, and after moving down there, they studied, and they found out that, Hey, this God is telling us something here. We need to start doing this. So they went to one church, and they drove and asked the pastor, hey, what does this mean? What is the Sabbath? pastor's like, oh, no, that's done away at the cross. And so they got out, and they went to another church, and like, pastor, what does this mean? That pastor said, oh, that's done away at the cross. So they went to this other church, and they pulled in, and they went in. They're like, this hair says, they, they said they were getting tired by, by this time. This says that we're supposed to keep the Sabbath. What do you say? And they looked at the person across the desk, and the pastor looked at them and said, Yes, you're supposed to keep it. And they were surprised. So right then and there, they had a Bible study. So for a couple more times, they went back and they had a Bible study with this pastor. And, uh, and they were convicted that, you know, what they were doing, that it was the Sabbath, that that was right. So they decided, we're getting baptized. By the way, what church are you? He said, We're Seventh-day Adventist. And he looked at his wife, and he said, that's the same thing as the Dysingers. Well, John asked them, he's like, well, um, he, well, he was about to ask them, and the guy said, well, you see, every time we went to the church, we went around the back, and we never saw a sign. So we were going into this church, we had no idea what the denomination was, and they ended up being Seventh-day Adventists, and he said, that was what we needed. God guided us there, and they became Seventh-day Adventists. What we do, what we say, how, remember I shared with you how you eat, what you dress. When I first became a Seventh-day Adventist, I thought these people eat funny, they dress funny, they talk funny. But you know what? People take note. They take notice. Why do you look different than me? Why do you not look so stressed? You're how old? What? And they're 20 years younger than you, and they look older than you do. There is a way to do evangelism. And again, we started, this is not to promote the Agricultural Association, but more so to let you know, this is one of the things, there's a trend that's taking place. People um, are wanting to understand more about what they're eating. They're wanting to understand more about where their food's coming. They're wanting to understand more. There's a guy by the name of Larry Lesher. I, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's part of the Agricultural Association. He used to be, and he's proud to tell it, a, a punk rock skateboarder. He was in a punk rock band, and he was a skateboarder. And his wife, um, they were pretty much atheists. And they decided, that's it. We're not going to eat any more meat. We're going to become vegan. So they became vegans. She went in. She took nursing. And after taking nursing, she kept looking for a job and couldn't find one. And then finally, she got hired at this nursing home. Well, while she was there at the nursing home, she found out that the owners of the nursing home were vegan. So that automatically, there was an interest. She's like, oh, I'm vegan. So they started talking, and the owner turned out to be Seventh-day Adventist. And they started telling them why they were vegan, that it was part of, you know, it wasn't because they were trying to work, but it was just part of their belief that their body is a temple of God and that they're supposed to keep it healthy. That started a conversation with her. So she was going home with her husband and telling him, and meanwhile, he's in his punk rock 
man, he's a skateboarder trying to go professional, um, getting scholarships, you know, to make a name for himself. And so he had enough. He said he was going. He said, "I got in my car. I went over to that nursing home. I was going to put those people straight and, <clears throat> and tell them stop talking to my wife about this nonsense." He got over there, and it just so happened that the the owners of the nursing home, their son was visiting. And when Larry got there, the son was there, and the first Bible study he had was on the state of the dead. So Larry said, that's it. This threw my mind in a loop. It was totally backwards. It's upside down. It's different. So he said, eight hours later, he left their house, and he's like, I'm going home to prove this guy wrong. He stayed there that long talking to these guys. When he got home, he decided that everything they were saying was true. He's like, he just started looking through. So Larry decided that's it. He started, totally drastic change, got into agriculture. And as he did, one of the things that he likes to do is single out people that he, he knows what, he can look at a person, see if they're into skateboarding, if they're into heavy metal or punk rock, and he can relate with them and talk to them. And he said that he's able to connect with them because of the food that they're coming to eat. Just like his wife, it was the food, her diet. Now, I am not, understand what I'm saying. I'm not up here, and I said this yesterday, I am not advocating, you know, that everything else is wrong. That's not my purpose. God has one way of doing this or something, and we know this. But when we deviate, God in his grace and his mercy will work with us and he'll still help us work with him. And then what do we do? We deviate. And God comes along, gracious as he is, and works with us. And then we deviate. It's a vicious cycle. If God has an ideal, why not strive to be as close to that? I'm not saying quit your jobs. Don't be like me. That's not my intent. Quit your jobs. Go and be a farmer. What I'm saying is... Mrs. White is clear on what true education is. Study it and show yourself approved. With agriculture, it's my firm belief that um, one of the things in our institutions, health institutions, is when they teach wholeness and, and, you know, to be healthy, one of the things they don't, don't, I really believe they don't understand is that buying an organic head of lettuce from Kroger or from Publix or from Walmart is not the same as pulling a head of lettuce from your garden. If you've mineralized, if you added amendments, it's a whole world of difference. Somebody much smarter than me and with much more time and no children decided that they were going to do an experiment. So they got out there and they looked at the best possible ways to grow tomatoes. One was using synthetic fertilizer, which are man-made fertilizers and pesticides and everything. Um, And then the other one he bought from a store, a box store. Another one he grew in his garden, just not doing anything. And another one he grew in a section where he added amendments, minerals, and different things. And there's a thing called a refractometer. A refractometer is a, for, it measures the nutrient content, the sugars, and it can tell you how nutritious Um, your fruit or your vegetables are. So he decided he was going to experiment with that. Of all the ways, of all the ones that he experimented with, the one that he grew after doing the soil amendment was the most nutritious. The second thing he did was he decided to put them on a shelf, on his his counter in his kitchen, like many of us. The the store-bought tomato was the first one to start rotting within two weeks, less than that. All of a sudden, it started to get soft and squishy and break down. The next one was the one that, where he used synthetic fertilizers and sprays in his garden, which meant the ones that he used uh, man-made chemicals on was better than the ones at the store, which is kind of interesting. The third one was the one from the garden where he um, didn't add any amendments to the soil. The fourth one lasted four months on his counter. They've done research, and it's pretty neat. It's coming out. I think I shared this where um, the, the research that's coming out is showing that bugs 
when the, um, we talked about this, I think, have little antenna. And when a, when a plant is sick, it's distressed. And what it's basically saying is, help, 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 I need help. And these pests and these bugs that we see as you know, a nuisance, first thing we do is we go get chemicals and we start spraying them. But if we understand God and how he's trying to redeem everything he wants us to redeem the soil if we can't even understand how to redeem the soil how can we get a clear picture of god i'm not saying it's impossible please i'm not trying to go to an extreme i'm trying to elevate you to a higher level if you will um not in a bad way but sometimes words can get you in trouble um anyways these bugs if you pay attention to them first of all what kind of bug is it what is the purpose of this bug? Is, is it one of God's cleanup bug? This means that plant might be sick. Instead of spraying it with chemicals to kill the pests and the bug, maybe that plant needs some calcium, maybe it needs some nitrogen, maybe it needs some phosphates or something. And you go and you take care of the missing element, and all of a sudden the bugs will go away. I shared the Swiss chard story with you guys yesterday, and it's amazing. You can see God redeeming. This is what God wants us to do. If you go to a market, you know, there's a difference. How many churches does, I don't even know how many churches we have, I was going to ask you, but I know we have many Adventist churches across this country. How many people every day are walking off the street to go into an Adventist church who've never been there um, or anything? I would venture to say very few. How many people are walking into a farmer's market every day and if you're able to grow your food and it's more wholesome more nutritious it's giving people energy this is actually happening we have people today that there was a i'll share another quick story there was another farmer i believe they're in um um oregon that they were not the first ones there at the farmer's market And so, you know, one of the things at a farmer's market is you're always concerned. You want to make sure that you can get your clientele because your object is to sell your produce. So they got there, and little by little, different people would come and buy produce from them. And then after a while, that line kept getting longer and longer and longer. And they were not the cheapest either, which was fascinating. And so they shared the story that person after person after person said, you know what, the first time we bought from you, First of all, we didn't want to buy from you. You were, too, you were too expensive. And then we bought from you, and we noticed yours tasted different. But we didn't come back to you, and we went to the other person who was cheaper, and we noticed that theirs didn't taste quite like yours. And so we came back to you, and ever since, I've been eating your produce. They said that the person said, I've been eating your produce straight for one month. I have more energy. I'm not getting headaches like I used to, and I feel better. What are you doing differently? And they said they took the opportunity to say, you know what, this is nothing that I can do. I plant the seed, and God is the one who allows this to grow so that I in turn can serve you and provide you this nourishment. What an opportunity to witness to people who may never walk into a church. I'm not saying that's the only way to do it, but what I'm saying is God has an ideal Let's try to get as close to that as possible. If you deviate it, that's okay. Start where you're at, work where you're at, and go from there. And as God is wanting you to be convicted, He will do that, and He will move you where He wants you to move. The ultimate goal with any of this is to build your relationship with God. He wants you to be participants with Him as He redeems the soil. It tells us, that you know, we were supposed to be a shine light, shining light on the city. We were, so, we were supposed to be tillers of the soil and not city dwellers. And through that, we were to affect and evangelize the entire world. I believe if rightly followed, God will be bringing people to us, whether it's our institutions, whether it's our produce stands, whether it's our homes. I believe if rightly followed, God will do the bringing that's all. Any questions? I'm sorry, did I... Any questions? I'd like to answer some questions. Yes, ma'am. That is true. That is true. Thank you for pointing that out. Yes, not all sugar. I, I should have said that. I say these things to, to stimulate thought, to stimulate conversation, okay? 
but more so, don't, please, don't take my word. Go and do your research. Study and show yourself approved. Get to know your God. Get to know your Creator and help Him in the redeeming that He wants us to help with. Have you heard that? This well, year, green, toma- green, green tomatoes is a different thing. That's a thing that they love in the South. It's a Southern thing. Yes. So I don't know that I would lecture someone on green tomatoes because okay. they're going to do it. But yeah. if it's grown in your garden, it's going to be much more nutritious than buying it at the box store. But I think we should use every opportunity, um, not so much about lecturing about diet, but just about talking to them about God, everything as an evangelistic opportunity. Yes, yes. That's a fun question. I actually enjoy answering that. I use hybrid seeds on my um, farm. I grow hybrid tomatoes. Hybrid is basically taking two God-grown plants, naturally growing, and you like a characteristic about that plant. Let's say you like the look of something, or you like the you like the look of this one, but you like the taste of this. And they're tomatoes. You're not taking a salmon, and you're not taking a strawberry. You're taking two tomato plants, just two different families. And you say, okay, I'm just going to cross them to see if I can get the characteristic that I want this look and this flavor. That's a hybrid. That's perfectly fine. God wants us, you know, there's a book written on this, and I'm not going to do it justice. But it talks about um, where broccoli came from. It was very fascinating. And it talked about how broccoli was on the side of a hill. It was a wild plant. And someone went out there, and they saw something about that broccoli, and they said, huh, I like that. It was, I believe, in Scotland. And um, I like that. Let's see what I can do with it. And so they took it, and from that plant, they came up with broccoli, cauliflower, um, kale, and collards. So they took the characteristic from one wild plant, and they were able to come up with four different plants just working on the characteristics, taking naturally. And what they would do is they would just grow it, and they would grow several plants, and they would see one looking like the broccoli and so they said okay that's the one i want to focus on the rest of them they composted the, they took this one took the seeds from it and the children from that would keep looking more and more like broccoli and then more and more until we have broccoli well the uh, next one looked more like collards well that was the characteristic they wanted well they got rid of all the others they took the collard plant or the one that looked like collard and they kept reproducing it until they could get the characteristic they wanted so to say hybrid is bad it's not Bad. What is bad is GMO. GMO is dealing at the molecular structure, at the genes, at the you know the DNA level, and it's taking characteristics that naturally you cannot do, and it's taking from different plants, like splicing human DNA into rice so that rice doesn't get a disease. That's not natural. So I grow um, um, hybrids but I make sure that they're non-organic hybrids and that they're a natural, just basically... Uh, I'm sorry, what did I say? Sometimes my brain and my mouth don't work together. What she said, my wife is my... I grow no GMO. I grow hybrids and I grow uh, organic. I do. There are certain things that I will only deal with organic. That is correct. Because of... The places, the sources that they're coming from, the reason, sometimes sometimes it's the seed source. And because they're dealing with a lot of GMO stuff, that seed has the potential to be contaminated, so I won't touch it. Well, I don't really want to get too much into the growing aspect of it. You know, one of the things I want to point out is God wants to use us in every aspect. Yes, you can say, um, see, sorry, what was your question? That's very difficult to do. I'll, I'll, I'll answer that one. Um, it's very difficult to do, and the reason it is is because you're taking two different plants to, cre- to do this, but then their offspring could, it's just like, you know, people. This, this offspring can look like one parent or the other parent. You don't know which parent's going to look like, or it could look like the hybrid. So you don't know what you're going to get. It's kind of like ru- roulette. They will grow, but they're not going to grow back to what... To what yeah. Okay. If you would have to go back, either you would have to do the hybrid yourself or go back and buy the hybrid from the original person. Any other, Not so much technical gardening, but anything else in the presentation or, you know, God trying to redeem us? That's a good question. Um, 
you know, God brought me here to, uh, to answer that question. I, I haven't thought about it. God brought me here, and if I saw clear leading that God wanted me to go somewhere else, you know, He has been teaching me and training me. I went into it because of my children, but like I shared yesterday, I am learning as much or more about this. And I know my wife is growing. You know, one of the things is, one of the, we're coming to understand is when we first started down this road, my wife would say, okay, we're going to go to school, do school, and then we're going to do agriculture. It's the same thing. Um, Don't want to get in trouble for that, but my belief God is able to release, um, oh goodness, uh, reveal himself through agriculture. There's so much learning. And like I said, let me say this. Agriculture of yesteryear is a farmer who grow massive amounts of produce to make money to put his children through school so that when they grew up, they could get a better job than him. That is not agriculture. Agriculture is you're out there and you're working in the soil. It's teaching you problem solving. It's teaching you math. It's teaching you mechanics. It's teaching you patience. You want to learn patience? I have a son. I won't say which one. Um, You put him on a 50-foot row bed and say, I need this weeded. Oh, my word. A 15-minute job turns into three hours. And then you go back the next day and say, you know what? You were not able to finish that. So I want you to go back there and weed that for me. I wish I could tell you that he's learned that lesson, but God has to work in his heart some more. There are deep lessons in agriculture. And you know, God, there's a reason why, research this for yourselves. Why would he instruct us to do this? This is your homework. If he told us this, there's a purpose. What? Why? Any other questions? Yes, ma'am. I'd like to give another you want to give? Okay, we'll have one more. And then I started late, so I hope you didn't mind. I just went that much longer since we took a while to get in. This is a silent testimony, I guess you could save a community. It's in Washington State. My parents were farmers. And there were times making hay when Friday would come. The hay still needed to be got in because it might rain or whatever, and we would stop. The neighbors would see that we stopped because Sabbath was coming. Year after year, sometimes the hay would get rained on, and then on Sunday we'd have to cut the bales of hay open, spread them throughout the field, fluff it up, and rebale it. We weren't working on Sabbath. When my dad died, I told the pastor, there's not going to be enough chairs in this church for the community. He said, oh, there'll be enough. I said, no, there won't. And there wasn't. And one after the other would come and say how much of a testimony of Sabbath that they learned and different principles of the Bible from my parents' lives. I'm not telling you to take drastic measures. I'm not saying this is the only way God can work. I'm not saying this is the only way. But what I'm saying is why were we told that agriculture should be the A- B and C of education. Why were we counseled to do that? I'm not saying any other way is wrong. But what I am saying is study for yourselves. Allow God to work in your heart. But I want to reiterate this. Agriculture is not, if it takes you away from God, you failed. Everything we do in life must be to redeem us and restore us to the image of the character of God and build that relationship. 
That is the purpose of agriculture, to redeem us, restore us to the character and image of God and build that relation with him personally. If it doesn't do it, you must stop. Doesn't matter what it is. And say, Lord, what do I need to do? Let's pray. Father, I pray that any words I spoke here with all of my heart, I pray that I've said nothing wrong. I, say, I pray that I've said nothing to mislead anyone. And Lord, if that's the case, I pray that this recording was not even recorded. I pray that you and your word can be uplifted. My endeavors to draw people closer, as I'm trying to do with myself and my family, closer to you. And Lord, if I failed in that, I please, I pray that you can help everyone here to forget everything I've said and never help, and help them never think of it again. But Lord, if what I've said is correct and what it, if it's true, and it is what you wanted me to say, I pray that you convict every heart here and don't give them peace until they go and they search it out for themselves and build that relationship that you want with each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.